You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin by calling in the spirits to be with us here today. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine, to all of those people who lived well and died well, who met the challenges of their time in a good way. I call out to those people who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in these lineages to us to bring to bear in this time, the time in which we are the living, the time in which we are the ones making the choices that can change the world. So I call out to those ancestors to gather around us here today. And I give gratitude for their presence. And I reach beyond to the even older ancestors, those who were here before there were people, those non-human ancestors standing here with us in form, and those who do not have form. I call out to those ancestors to be with us here today, for there is so much of what we have created uh, that can only be undone with the assistance of those beings that don't think like us, since it was our thinking that got us into these messes in the first place. So I give thanks for those non-human ancestors, for gathering around, and for helping us uh, always to be better humans. And so with all of these ancestors gathering around us, let us take a moment and reach to our awareness and draw it into our head, and from our head down to our heart, and from our heart down to our belly. And from our belly, let us reach for a moment and just touch the earth and take a moment of stillness in this day to give gratitude for the day itself, for life, for the great wonder and diversity in life and all of its many forms all around us, for the beauty, for the mystery. And we give thanks for the miracle of life itself and take a moment and commit to living in a way that honors that miracle. And with this upon our shoulders to live that miracle of life in a good way today, let us reach down deeper into the earth and our great gratitude for this opportunity, our great gratitude for the abundance and all that the earth has to offer us. Let us reach down through all the layers of the earth with our gratitude, pouring out layer after layer from our hearts into the earth till we get to the very center of the earth. And in the very center of the earth, let us take a moment in the essence of this energy that is dark and and still, silent, that it is the very generative energy that restores, renews, and replenishes, that is underneath all that ultimately lives. And so we call up this energy of the earth. We draw it up through all the layers of the earth, letting it rise up into our life like a spring of crystal clear water in its purity, in its refreshing energy. We draw this energy up into our body, into these proceedings here today, into the day itself. And we invite this energy into our lives that we may use it to understand how to be grounded, how to take a stand in life and to know what we're here, what we really live for. 
and to use this energy to create a sense of home and in that home a sense of hearth, a sense of belonging and to do so in a way that is not only gather those who are like us but who sets a a place at the table for the other, for those who are different and we invite them in to challenge us so that we may all grow into the men and women we were truly destined to be. And so with the energy of the earth helping us to understand and embrace not only our own place, but the place for all others. Let us reach out into that understanding of connection and interconnection and ultimately that great web of life. And let's take a moment and to reach out and to feel, at least for a moment, our place in that great oneness of things. And we ask the energy of the earth to help us do this in each day. And as we connect to the great oneness of things, let us come into right relationship with ourselves, right relationship with others, right relationship with the environment and with the invisible world. And with the energy of the earth moving within us, helping us to connect and be interconnected, let us rise up, drawing our energy up from our bellies to our hearts, our hearts to our minds, and out through the beautiful sky and whatever weather it holds for you in this day, out through the weather and out through the cosmo- out into the cosmos, all the way to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know that energy, name it, take a moment, see yourself in it and it in you, knowing yourself as one with this energy as well, and draw it down into yourself, into these proceedings, into your day. Drawing into your day the essence energy of blessings, the energy of protection, generosity and devotion, commitment, but also the energy of inspiration and illumination, the breath that comes in so we do not suffocate on our old ways, the energy that comes in so that we do not stagnate. We call these energies in and draw it down into our head, our heart, our belly and send it down to the center of the earth. And in this way, we become the meeting place of these two great legendary lovers, the earth and the sky. And it is in that dance of this great love affair that all life as we experience it is born. And we ask that big love to awaken the spirit of our own hearts to this day. And let our hearts open to that great crucible of transformation it is designed to be. And may the heart call up the fiery passions of your belly and call down the crystal clarity of your mind. And may these two energies dance together in their great dynamic tension and give birth to that third and most sacred thing, the sense of why you are here, your heart's memory of what it is that you are doing in this life. And may you find in your human heart the courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring those gifts into the world. So I give great gratitude for the energies above and below and those energies gathering round. And I also want to give thanks to those of you who helped me to keep this show alive on, on the air and free to those who can access the internet. So I give thanks to William and Malama and Mary and Anne and Sherwood and Katerina and all of you who donated to the show. This is the second, hopefully the third year that the show is 100% listener supported and I give great gratitude for those of you who are able to help me financially to do that. I also give thanks to those of you who share the links to the show, talk about the show, who bring the ideas into your life, into your journey circles, into your practice. Um, work with them, struggle with them, dance with them, and send back questions to make other shows happen. So for all of the things that you do, large and small, to keep the show growing and vital and um, valuable 
to people, I give thanks to you, for we are doing this together. It is not just me. For those of you who do want to donate to the show, uh, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com. For those of you that get the show off iTunes, the show does have its own website, and you can click the support button there and donate uh, any amount, large or small, in any currency, um, all of it, it goes directly to keeping the show on the air, and I'm very grateful for it. And if you're not comfortable doing that, you can always email me at christina at lastmasscenter.org, and I would be happy to give you a regular old address for a regular old check. So thank you all very much. And um, I would like to give thanks uh, today to our guest who's helping me out with a third part of this uh, series on shamanism and children, which is we're moving on to a little bit older children into the teens. And so I want to give thanks to Kelly Harrell for joining us here today. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you for having me. So I'm very uh, happy to have Kelly on the show once again. For those of you that don't know, she is an author and um, uh, appeared, I don't know, maybe first or second on the show for a previous book. Um, called Gift of the Dreamtime, which many of you have read and, and responded back how helpful that book has been to you. But we're, we're talking today about a new book uh, called Teen Spirit Guide to Modern Shamanism, A Beginner's Map to Charting an Ancient Path. Um, so Kelly obviously is an author and she's a neo-shaman living in North Carolina. For those of you who would like a referral in that area, there you go. <laughs> and um, so Kelly has... Um, a lot of different places where her writing shows up um, on the internet and in um, other periodical type things. Um, but also what's important to understand is her work in the shamanic world. And um, she's been on a shamanic path for over 20 years. She works, as I said, in North Carolina, but also with an international client base. And she incorporates other trainings, other ways of knowing, other modalities into her shamanic practice at Soul Intent Arts. And so you can connect with her at soulintentarts.com or at Kelly Harrell. And that's K-E-L-L-E-Y-H-A-R-R-E-L-L.com. Um, and those are uh, different ways you connect with Kelly and her work. And for those of you that are looking for someone to work with who can work with you at a distance, um, Kelly is, is one of those practitioners. So please keep that in mind as we talk here today. We are live today. So if you have questions about today's topic, you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938. Um, or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Um, or you can just email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org, and I'd be happy to read your questions on the air. So, as I said, we are continuing um, in this little series about shamanism and children, um, With and Kelly's joining us here today uh, to carry on. We uh, spent the last two weeks talking first a bit about creating sacred space for conception, pregnancy, birth, and infancy. And then we moved on to talk about shamanic life with kids, looking at kind of little kids, basically. And today we're moving on to older children and teens. Um, and throughout the series, we're looking at what we could be doing now, not so much what used to happen in pre-contact shamanic cultures, because we're not those people, but what, what, to do, what we could do now. And we're, we're interested in our current condition, <laughs> such as it is, and how we could bring our shamanic skills to bear in the lives of our children. So Kelly, I guess I'd like to start just by asking the basics of what, 
you know, what inspired you to write this particular book at this time? Well, um, last year, Alice, um, Alice James, who is the publisher of Soul Rocks Books, she she did a kind of an all points call that she wanted to do a series on earth-based spiritual paths and modalities for teenagers and young adults. And I thought, well, good luck with that. You know, I read it and I thought, okay, that sounds cool. And then I just kind of let it go. And at the same time, I was um, finally manifesting the tribe of the modern mystic. We were, we were finally getting ready to make it happen. And in pulling things together for that, I realized that in my teen years is where my greatest, um, I guess, crisis around being an animist happened, that I, I just felt completely unsupported. I didn't um, feel like I had um, a mentor or even to some degree resources that I could rely on. And and I realized that that was also the time frame that shamanism found me. That was the age that it that a name came to the things that were happening in my life and had been happening throughout my childhood. So when I kind of made that realization, it just hit me that, you know, nobody has to do it that way anymore. Nobody has to do it baptism by fire anymore. And I realized that I did have something that I needed to say to young adults and that, um, that I could present material that has, you know, probably been presented many times by this point in a light that is inclusive of people who are awakening at a young age. And so um, talk a little bit because, of course, it's kids awakening in this time at a young age. Right. And it's, it's such a such an electronic time. So why don't you just take this moment to talk a little bit about there's, there is a physical book, <laughs> but all the other resources and parts that go around it because you, they can, people can also download the book as well, right? That's right. The the um, ebook will be available Friday. It will be available in all formats this Friday, the thirtieth. That's exciting. Yeah. Um. Well, what I tried to build the whole framework around what a shamanic path is, and and I think you know that was the the crux in writing the book because so many people present it as it's a series of techniques that you learn you go to this weekend class you learn how to journey poof you're a shaman and what i find is that um a lot of people go to classes to learn to journey and they don't get any grounding for what to do with comes out with what comes out of that they don't know how to handle even the um, amazing good things that come out of it, and you know, not even the things that might be a little bit sore or rub up against some pain from the past. So I have really devoted the last few years to creating resources that help people assimilate what happens in their ecstatic lives in everyday life, because ultimately they're not separate. I mean, you know, you talk about this every week on your show. So, um, one thing that I'm doing immediately with the release of the book is is the blog series, the um, Teen Spirit Wise Voices, to have people who have come through various forces of life to talk about what it was like for them as a teen at that time and to contribute to how people can move forward in different ways. It doesn't mean they're all going to end up being shamans. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to um, follow any specific path. But just the fact that they can be supported and they can access that support through so many different people, so many different ways. 
Well, and there's another thing that you mentioned already, which is just that when you were going through this, not only were there no books or resources like this, but the, it was also really hard to find a mentor. Yes, it was. Um, I think I think that um, Hillary Webb, who wrote the foreword for the book, I think her story starts off the book in so much more a grounded way than I could have. Because you know me, I'm like, you know, coming in two wheels going, you're not going to believe this. But she comes in and says, I had the the cultural framework. I mean, she, she had resources, at least, you know, bits and pieces of different approaches that were available to her, even as young as like 11, 12 years old. But even she said, there was no focal point for them. There was no mentor. And so that's the one thing that I really push throughout the book is that you're not going to learn shamanism from a book. It it sounds ironic, but you can get the pieces and parts from all these different places, but you really need the grounded approach of someone who can help you put it in a context that works for you. Well, and I and I want to also just reiterate that, you know, no one at any age, <laughs> you know, a teen or an adult right. is going to learn to be a shaman from a book. I agree. You know? I, I agree completely. And, and frankly, they're not going to be a learn to be a shaman from a bunch of workshops about techniques either. You know, that's, I agree. you know, humans aren't teaching other humans how to be shamans. That piece comes in from the spirit world and that, that, that what we're helping each other learn, which is why I think this book is genius, is how do we as you said, you know, how do we live in our ecstatic life? How do we, how do we understand that these sort of random things we're sort of spontaneously doing actually have skills and practices? This is how we develop them. This is how we continue to do them through a long life in a healthy way. I mean, this is the thing I think a lot of people don't understand. Almost anybody can jump into these skills at the get-go and just do them kind of however they want to, and they largely will work. The issue is over time. Exactly. Over time, it can be really damaging in our energy body or it can be strengthening and nurturing and supporting of our energy body. And it really depends on how we approach doing it. And, and so this is the thing I think we can deliver through books, even if it's not the complete understanding of the techniques. It's the understanding that there are techniques. Right, exactly. <laughs> that there exactly. is a path, there are skills and that, and that in many ways – finding the mentor or the human that can help fill in the human pieces. Because I actually sat with a client the other day. It, it, it was a very challenging moment. And she just didn't want to answer my intake questions. She was just saying, look, I trust the helping spirits are going to do it. Let's do the journey. <laughs> and I said, you know, this is what I've learned over my 25 years of doing this. The helping spirits forget I'm human all the time. It's my job to set those boundaries and to say yes and no around what I can and can't do as a human. And that my helping spirits would be happy for me to get all of it in this moment, but then my right. head would explode. So right. no, it's like, so no, it's not okay for you to just sit in my chair and not answer my questions as a human with a human trying to understand where you are in your life before I go in and advocate for you in the spirit world. Good for you. You know, and, and I said, and maybe I'm not the right shaman for you. You are welcome to leave. <laughs> and then that's it. I mean, that dose of reality is the best thing you can give. I, I, that's wonderful. You handled that wonderfully. Anyway, so this is part of the thing I think people need to understand is, is Kelly's written this book. 
out of her experience, I'm advocating this book. I believe books can be beautiful teachers. They have saved my ass many times. And they don't replace people. And neither the books or the people will make anybody into a shaman. So what we're really talking about is how do we assist humans in living their ecstatic life and being healthier humans and essentially what I would call living shamanically, you know, for, you know, because like you said, just learning to journey isn't going to make you a shaman. Right. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Not that easy people. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. So, um, but what books can really do, I think, is they can also be pointy sticks. I mean, they can be this great relief. Oh my God, there's a path here. But it can also be a pointy stick that says, I need to stop sort of luxuriating in the fact that I do this thing really naturally and realize maybe I've been given this gift or this sensitivity because I actually need to hone this and do something with it. There's that piece too. Sometimes books help us realize we need to get off our butts and actually step up. Indeed. So anyway, um, (laughs) what I do like about the book, though, is the advocating throughout your book that people need to – wherever they are, they need to look around and find out who who are the humans in their area. And if there truly aren't any good humans in your area to work with, to then figure out someone you have a good resonance with to work at a distance – but to bring a human being into that picture as a mentor, especially if you're young. Exactly. Yeah. And I think where possible community, you know, not just an individual, not just a mentor, but a community where possible. So um, I, since we are talking about children, um, I'd like to delve in right here uh, at the get-go um, to this idea that you, you, you've already received some pushback um, from people about teens not really having any business delving into shamanisms, that they aren't ready, they're not mature enough, they can't possibly understand or deal with the way it changes your life, that, that type of um, voice. And what I'd like to do is play the bitch cards first. I have a whole <laughs> <laughs> so that you can then step in and say something reasonable and compassionate. <laughs> Wait, but, but what if we both end up being bitches? That's yeah, not going to work. Okay. That's why people listen to this show. <laughs> so, so I guess the first thing, though, what I would like to say about this response, because I find it fascinating, whether we're talking about children or anybody. Right, exactly. Is, um, there's this view out there that if we don't poke our noses into the middle world, it will leave us alone. Oh. And I think that is so naive at the very best, that we and our children are already in the middle world all the time, every day. Exactly. Exactly. They're already there. Yeah. And the kids are totally engaged with all this crazy business that's going on in the middle world all the time, every day. And I can't, one of the mainline contemporary, this is why I show up at a shaman as a grown up stories is precisely this. I was a normal kid. I was an animist. I was in the world. The world was talking to me. I was talking to the world. Everything was great. I could make things happen. I was comfortable. I felt safe in the world. And then the grown-ups in my life made me choose exactly. them or the invisible world, you know, them or this relationship with spirit. And so, of course, I chose them. And then my life went to hell in a handbasket. Exactly. The, you know? the judgment around that. I mean, there, there's, make, there's being forced to make the choice, but then there's also judgment that if you, if, you, if you remain animistic, then you obviously have a mental condition, you're not mature, and you're not fit to engage with 
the culture, you know, the overculture at large. There, there are so many components of that that adults carry with them for the rest of their lives until they see it for what it is. And that's the thing. And so then they're seeing us as adults that have these chronic problems now because they have avoided this assistance. I can't tell you how many people say every t- – I go, well, how did, you, how did you come back from that overdose? Well, the helping spirits came in. But then I started ignoring them again. You know, it's like <laughs> right. at every dark moment in life, it's been the helping spirits that have saved their asses, but they still don't – go there until they're much later in life, tired of the patterns they've been right. creating, tired of the illness that's been created in their body, you know, tired of all of it and finally willing to say, well, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that this problem has got a spirit component. It's like, yeah, your life has a spirit component. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, so, I mean, to me, this is the biggest response. And the reason for this book is that the kids are there, why should we steer them away so that they can go through years of chronic problems and addiction only to drag themselves back there exactly. again? Exactly. And that's what was kind of bothersome to me about that initial response. And in all honesty, it was a minority response. The overwhelming response for the book has been greatly supportive, and, and I'm grateful for that. Um, you know, but, but the handful of people who are like, you know, kids don't have any business going here and you're irresponsible for pretending that you can teach them this in a book, that whole dialogue again. And, you know, my response is they're already there. We can either lead them there, you know, we can give them some compassionate guidelines or we can, you know, make it this whole fear-based thing where exactly what you said, they end up being adults with issues that impact us all or as we're seeing, they become teenagers with mm-hmm. issues that impact us all. They don't yeah. have to wait to adulthood to impact yeah. society anymore. I know. And so here, you know, the reality of the lives of our certainly teenage children, but of our children, the reality of their lives is soul loss. The reality exactly. of their lives is unresolved ancestral issues. These great burdens they can feel on their shoulders. They don't understand where the hell it came from and why they have to carry it. And in many cases there cases there are intrusive spirits or entities. And I mean not to get too freaky here, but there are. I mean some people <coughs> just live in houses that have ghosts, just simple <laughs> ghosts. And to to treat to not take these realities, frankly, in people's lives seriously because the kids are seeing them and experiencing them anyway. Exactly. It, it's our job as parents to prepare our children for the world, the physical world and the invisible world and continue to pretend that the invisible world isn't out there happening, especially today, is folly. And it means we're, I think, now granted biased, but I think we fall <laughs> down in our role as parents if we're not preparing our children to have a real relationship with the invisible world. Exactly. I mean, my kids are both five, five years old, and they have long established that there are things going on in their lives spiritually that have nothing to do with me. I mean, they're they're already there. And so I can't imagine what it's like for a child that age to be having experiences that they learn very quickly not to express. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you rather have them expressing them so that you actually know what your kids are dealing with? Right. So, so, so they learn young to not talk about this. So then you expect them to actually talk to you about the other things? Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. Like you've already let them know you're not willing to talk to them honestly. So why should they now talk to you honestly about sex and drugs and everything else? I mean, right. yeah, you've already established that you're not safe. 
for them to talk to. So, I mean, I think this is a really important piece for parents to educate themselves about. So maybe they should buy the book. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but then the last piece of my little bitch card, I have almost a full house here, um, <laughs> is um, this is the age in an indigenous culture where children would be required now to engage with the invisible world in their path to becoming an adult immediately. You know, this and is in something a- that I wanted to talk about in the book, and it just didn't fit the scope of the book. The it's fact a big that in, thing. Yeah, yeah. That in other – in tribal cultures, traditional cultures, there's no concept of teenager. Right. I mean there there's not. You you basically, you know, we look at that and say, "Uh, oh, you jump over a stick, suddenly you're an adult." No, oh, it doesn't work that way. Who do those people think they are? But the truth is in tribal cultures, from the day you're born, you're being groomed to be an individual with a role that supports that tribe forever. Mhm. And so By the time you jump over the stick, that's merely symbolism for a collection of responsibilities that you're bringing to your tribe that you are accountable for. You don't have the concept of teen. There is no in-between. There's no you were a child, something happens, and then later you become responsible. We are the culture that says there's this weird in-between phase and we don't have rites of passage that acknowledge the things that they're going through. I think it's a really challenging time because philosophically, we don't really even understand what it is. And we even have tweens now. What is that? Yeah, yeah. what is that? So, so I'm going to tell everybody what it is. What it is <laughs> is me at a hotel, not a cheap, crappy hotel, <laughs> not a $400 a night hotel, but a nice hotel over this past weekend. And our neighbors were somewhere between 18 to 22 who did not have a clue about how to behave in a hotel. They came in all hours of the night, screaming, cussing, music blaring, dancing. And I'm thinking the truth of the matter is I bet you their parents are paying the credit card that paid for this hotel room. Yeah. There was not a shred of maturity in any of these eight kids. And I don't know. Eight kids between two rooms, our neighbors in the hotel all weekend. And, you know, and I look at that and I think, what the... Well, basically, I look at that and what I think, to get off my my bitch mobile, is it's not working. What we are doing isn't working. We are not preparing our children to grow up and be good citizens and to understand that everything they do affects everything else. And that whatever they wanted to do that night was perfectly fine, but it was not more important than what everybody else was choosing to do that night. I personally was trying to choose to sleep. Yeah. You know, and so this is the thing is this tween in between whatever thing, what we're doing is not working. We're not creating good citizens. And so, you know, we go back to this and going, well, where does where do we need to begin to start creating good citizens? And like you said, it's at the beginning. It's understanding that childhood is this time of learning how to grow up to be an ecstatic adult. Right. You integrate. You're integrated as an individual, as a unit in your family, as a unit in your tribe from day one. So as we're saying, the book is not irresponsibly training people who have no business becoming shamans to become shamans. The book is, is responding to the simple fact that children are already in the middle world. They're already having experiences. And as, as um, 
you know, older children and into the teens and young adults, they are looking for answers for how to do something with it, how to train it, how to discipline it, how to not have it. Um, you know, some of these gifts feel a bit like curses if we don't know how to work with them. And by the time, I mean, and sometimes being a teen feels a bit like a curse too. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's go back to the book then. And, and, what what is do you have a sense of what some of the challenges are in particular to the modern young person dealing with the invisible world anything in particular well I th- this might be a bit more broad than what you're referring to but i think that so often you know the things that we look at a young person and perceive about them right away in their appearance, the, the, the colors that they wear, the way they adorn themselves, body modification, ink, hair color, you name it. I mean, ultimately, all of these things are fetishes. I mean, they, they're ways of acknowledging the things that influence this teenager's life, this young person's life. And, you know, in an adult we're ready to accept that dialogue. We're, we're ready to look at a person and say, okay, these things somehow form this person and they, they give us insight into their story. But with a teenager, we're very critical of those sorts of things. We don't, we just assume that it's all um, rebellion for lack of a better word. But, but I think that, I think there's more going on there. You know, why, why is that the way that the young people choose to present themselves to the world? Why, why is changing their exterior how they want to present themselves to the world? Um, I think it's all connected. It's connected to how they're experiencing being here. It's connected to how they're telling their story of themselves. Excuse me. Um, another thing is, I think a lot of times the symbols that we not just symbols but actions that we perceive about young people they we already have a very biased codec for what they mean and so much of that comes from the media you never get to understand shamanism from the perspective of a shaman when it comes to the media i mean have you ever noticed that <laughs> they yeah. never ask somebody from the inside what is going on what does this mean and so i feel like you know, a lot of what people perceive in young adult behavior is already coded. And we need to step back from that. And we, we need to come back to how individual stories are playing into what's going on in a person's life. Yeah. And I, I'm just thinking about this recent um, moment in this journey circle just this month where these two young people who had a certain exterior look on the surface, they paired up and were journeying for each other. And I was looking at their body language sitting together and they were completely different. It was very interesting pairing visually from the outside looking in. But their body language and everything told me, wow, they've gotten really intimate answers for each mm-hmm. other. And they're sharing them very intimately and their body posture was very close. It was as if they'd known each other for a really long time. They'd only just met that night. Mm -hmm. And when they got done sharing, they just stayed that way. They just sat in this intimacy they'd created together by these very heartfelt answers that they'd obviously received for each other. And I just, um, I don't know, it was just really beautiful. And, and, And so, and such a, it was made such a stark contrast by the fact that they looked so different they appeared 
that have such different stories? Well, we're inundated with bullying and with um, teen violence in the media all the time, all the time. But what I notice in my personal life with the teenagers that I know, with my immediate community, um, teenagers by and large are really unsatisfied with the status quo. That's not a newsflash. I, I think maybe that's just part of being a teen. But they're dissatisfied in extremely philosophical ways that they can articulate. They're not interested in um, structured religion. They're not interested in structured relationships. They're not interested in structured gender. I mean, there's a huge change happening in young people now that's even more radical than our teen years. And I think that is amazing. What what I notice is they're more willing to stand in their differences. Um, I don't know if gently is the word, but perhaps in a more balanced way, that even if they disagree with their parents or they disagree with their church or community, they can kind of hold both of those states of being at one time. Whereas it seems like people in my age range grew up feeling overwhelmed by that. And they just like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they, they put it aside until adulthood when they could kind of come back. But young people now just seem so much more open and they're so much more um, willing to accept their differences and other people's differences also. Well, and if we, we look at those three things, you said unstructured religion, unstructured relationship, and unstructured gender, I think. Mm-hmm. The, the, those, the unstructuring of those three things in life actually describe characteristics of pre-contact shamanic culture. Exactly. You know, exactly. so like they're returning to the origin basically in exactly. spite of us, you know. And but but the piece that I would add is shamanic cultures are not structured the way our contemporary culture is, but all of that unstructuredness is held in a cosmology. Right. And the cosmology is big. You know, it talks right. about how did the world get here and how did we become part of it and who else is here with us. I mean, it's, it's a big story. Um, and, but, it, but it's uh, a story that allows all that freedom and lack of structure in, in the life and yet holds the community, holds the individual, holds everybody in this story that holds the values that supports all life. What better time to learn that than as a teenager? I mean, isn't that what you're looking for as a teenager? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times people that I work with don't have any concept of a cosmology at all. They're, They're not even completely sure what one is. And so then you introduce this, um, I don't really want to say fabricated, but, you know, the triple world cosmology, that's kind of the generic framework that we start with. And then you, you build from there as you're learning to journey. When you're having to learn cosmology on top of the whole journeying, ecstatic, meeting your spirit guides, seeing yourself in an, in an other world light, that is a lot to hold at one time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as a teenager, I think that they're more comfortable finding those answers in that altered space. I mean, you know, they're still open. They're not hardened in terms of cosmology the way adults are. Yeah. And, and again, as you said before, this is also the place where there being a community can help. 
in for the as the teen is experiencing that or the young adults is experiencing that to actually be able to look out and see oh wait a minute there are these other grown-ups doing it differently there are these other grown-ups i could talk about this with and their answer would actually be nourishing you know and and that there there is a, a piece in that where i think often the if there is a community of the shared values that holds a, a co- shared cosmology, then then the the person learning, frankly, at any age, the person learning can kind of rattle around inside that, right, and and see it modeled in different ways around them in everyday life instead of always looking back to some idealized, um, you know, shamanic culture in the past. We can say, oh, this is what this looks like here. I mean, some of my favorite writers right now are those who are able to write about, you know, what would this mythical path or this archetypal path look like today? Not in the past, but today. You know, right. how, how do we experience these things today? And this is the thing I think, um, like you said, these young adults and teens are in it. They're doing it right now. So taking them into the simplicity of, like you said, just the framework of the, you know, the three worlds and everything is kind of going backwards for them. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. So could you talk a little bit more about, um, you talked a little bit about the body modification and those choices they make, but I, but I also think there's an aspect of art. There's a lot of, a lot of kids in these years are into drawing and making music and poetry slams and all of this artistic expression. And I think this isn't separate from their, what could be their shamanic life as well. I agree. And um, I think that, I think that art is the the best way that we can bridge the seen and the unseen. It's it's essentially taking the imagination and making it concrete. And I, I don't think it's a you know mystery that that's why so many young people become interested in the arts as they reach the teen years. Hmm. Well, because they're experiencing things that are so hard to articulate in right. English or in right. words. And that's the healing story. I mean, that's how it works. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're conveying it in writing, we're conveying it in words, but that that is the shamanic narrative, the ability to communicate what you need to know into an art form, what you already know into an art form, what what you need other people to know about your story. So what else do you think is um, really juicy in the book that we haven't talked about yet? I'm kind of hmm. scanning my I just memory. have to pick one thing. Um, oh, you might, can yeah. I have you two? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I think that I, – I think this is something that you've talked about quite a lot in Why Shamanism Now and that is – you know, the whole idea that, well, I journeyed and it didn't work or, you know, that the, there's one way that we are all supposed to do this. And what I hope that people will take away from the book is that th- there are infinite ways to, to do this thing, to do shamanism. And this just provides a loose framework. The the instructions for journeying, the the, the insights, the examples that are in the book – it's meant to be a guideline. It's not carved in stone anywhere. And that 
how it shapes for each individual is exactly how it should shape. And if you feel like it isn't progressing, if, if there's a point where you are not growing the way you're doing it, it doesn't mean that you have to throw it away. It doesn't mean that it doesn't work for you. It means, one, you need to find a mentor who can help you move through that block. And two, maybe you just need some new tricks. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a big one. You know, a lot of people talk about, well, I journeyed. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, and the end. Yeah, so holding it openly. Yeah, Yeah. and and doing it with people. I mean, that that's another thing is creating. You know, maybe it's part of our responsibility as the old farts here (laughs) 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 to create the opportunities for the people to come together and realize, oh, everybody else is having the same problem I am. This is not me. I'm not failing. This is just what happens with people. Right. Doing it. Yeah. Uh, There is one thing about the book I wanted to point out, which is. Each chapter ends with, so what do you think? Right. (laughs) And I love that part because isn't that the point at this age? Exactly. It's not about what I think. It's not about what anybody else thinks. One of my favorite things, and I don't remember which um, chapter this closes, but one of my favorite things that I think is poignant for teenagers is, are you willing to apply discipline to the passionate, intuitive imagination that's rampant inside you. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, so many people are like, I'm intuitive. I know things before they're going to happen. And, you know, I, I just, I talk to trees, but are you willing to give it structure? Are you willing to, to let your temple become a structured atmosphere? And, and I think that's the biggest question that young people have to address on an earth-based spiritual path. Yeah. And it goes back to what you were saying about in an indigenous culture, there would be this expectation in the individual that, that my gifts need to be brought to bear. Right. There would be no question. Exactly. And and I think it is a question for, for contemporary youth. And I've seen this a lot. A lot of people come to the journey circle because they think it's this opportunity for everybody to pat them on the head and tell them how fabulous they are because you (laughs) talk to trees. It's like, yeah, "Yeah, okay. And so what, you know, what are you going to do with it? Right. Yeah. Are you willing to bring, and you describe um, practice really well as in not about repetition to get it perfect. Um, But, you know, I think you gave three different definitions of what practice means. But but it's like you're speaking Greek <laughs> to the contemporary world. This idea right. that 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 a practice is um, – well, I always think about it in Taoistic terms. It is something I bring into my life so I can actually experience the true freedom of this gift. Yes. And if I'm not willing to create this discipline, I'll never really know what it's here for. Right. The idea that if you if you don't do it that way every day, you feel like you're less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I just had this really great thing flying through my brain, but it 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 left. <laughs> Oops. Um, what were we talking about? We were talking about. Discipline. We were talking about practice, and then we were talking about discipline and um, journeying together. Well, and also that this that that this question you were saying for contemporary teens is a big question for contemporary teens. Are you willing 
to to choose not because someone told you to but are you willing to choose to bring some discipline to this to see what could happen Right. Because, you know, by the time you reach young adulthood, you're fed up. You have this picture of what discipline is and you don't want anything to do with it. But the truth is the opposite of not this discipline isn't no discipline. It's configuring your own. It's configuring the one that works for you. And that that can be anything. Yeah. Well, think about that guy, like the first guy to win the snowboard competition the first year it was in the Olympics. Do you think he was just out dicking around in the snow? (laughs) No, ladies and gentlemen, those of you that snowboard your little buns off. No, that person had the discipline to do things again and again and again to find out how to get that extra flip in there or whatever that unique thing is that they do. (laughs) You know, it's like that doesn't – you don't win the Olympics with snowboarding or whatever just (laughs) willy-nilly. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, like we open this whole discussion, it's about bringing it into the everyday. It's about seeing both, you know, the hollow bone all the time. The ability to have a foot in both worlds without having to, you know, do the drumming, without having to rattle and, oh, this is trance time. It's being that person, that individual all the time. And I guess I would make a plug for this, too, is this particular time in life that we're talking about is um, such it, – it, well, it's, it, it, elementally, it's a time of great fire. I mean, mm. life, the life force in a person is just on fire at this time. And I remember years ago, I used to do the these week-long retreats at this place that was also um, a classical music, a juried classical music camp for teens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and you had all these kids and they were, you know, they were tattooed and pierced and crazy hair, you know, the whole deal, just exactly like you were talking about. And they are passionately talking in the way teens talk about whatever the thing is they're focused on, but they were talking about Bach, you know, they were talking (laughs) about violin solos. I mean, they were talking about this classical music and to see the fire of that time, uh, focused in that way by choice by these kids into through these instruments into this music to give this music life again was so inspiring to watch i mean this this time of life to to give it some focus and some discipline even if that's not what you do with your whole life it it it's irrelevant exactly because it's about that experience of being alive and feeling your life voice force being directed by your own choices and seeing what happens doing that. It's a very exciting time. It's not one we want to just fritter away with too much Coke and, you know, I don't know, food with bad dyes in it. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Too much video games. I mean, it is an amazing time of life to catch on fire and focus um, your discipline into things, whether it's art or shamanism or whatever. But I think, I think part of the value maybe I see in this particular book and giving people, uh, children and teens, a way to begin to focus it into shamanic practices is precisely what you said about how their, their feelings about their world are not superficial. They have a deep unrest and, and unsettled about the world that they've inherited. 
and that if they're going to actually be able to bring their fire to bear on the world and to to change things, they're going to need non-ordinary help. Got that right. And this is the world they've inherited. You know, how, how else can we better prepare them to meet the challenges of the world we're allowing them to inherit um, other than helping them understand how to work with the invisible world to, to bring forward ideas, gifts, science, technology, spirit, conjure dances, you know, whatever it is that's going to be the new <laughs> mix of things that's going to allow them to be the medicine for their world. And we're ready for that. I mean, we can take it. We're not pioneering shamanism anymore or, you know, whatever, animism. We, you know, in the, in the West, this is not new. We are here and part of a path is being a visionary. And in order to be a visionary, you have to give the next people something to go on. It, it's time. I mean, yeah. it's not just time, you know, for their support, for them to stand up and begin their paths. As as people who are becoming elders of a modern path, we have to create something that goes on after us. So I'm going to say that again because I think people should hear it. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. But part of what I hear you also saying is as we become the elders of the path, what was mind-blowing and revolutionary for us is the foundation these children are standing on. Exactly. And we need to be prepared to support them in going beyond us and not not keep them locked into this little cookie-cutter idea of, of shamanism, but to, to open, be the foundation that they stand on and encourage them to go, go beyond it. And do things we didn't even know were possible. I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah. And just be here and celebrate them when they come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, all right. So, so, so the, the book is currently available as a book. Um, let me get the title right. Ah, Sorry. Okay, so Teen Spirit Guide to Modern Shamanism, a beginner's map charting an ancient path. So it's available as a book, and Friday it will be available in every other possible way you can get a book these days. Exactly. It, the paperback is on Amazon now. They somehow managed to prematurely release it, but its worldwide release is this Friday. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other story. <laughs> okay, and um, – the, the blog series begins in June. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. And how do they get to that? Um, through soulintentarts.com. And that's also how you get to Kelly, if you choose to. Um, right. And, um, oh, and then the other thing I was just going to say is then there's also the larger community that you've created, which is a non-local community in my understanding, is the path of the modern mystic. That's right. That's right. Um, it's people from all over the world that are getting together, mostly as animists, kind of animists on the run, people who are wanting to live. Well, you know. That's a good book title, by the they're, way. <laughs> they're intuitive selves out loud, essentially. And um, 
just kind of having some sort of community support in the process of doing that and, and how we spot each other in carrying our intuition through as, as often and as thoroughly as possible. So if kids were to sort of um, to get the book in some form and begin to work with it, um, what, what's your sense of what they could do if they don't have adults like you and me in the area? They could say, like, they could come to me and say, you know, we need a space to do a journey circle and we just want it to be us. You know, can we use your classroom space? I'd probably say yes. You know, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Like, what else do you think well, they could do? Um, <laughs> I think that offering space is always supportive, but, um, I do think that as we were talking about earlier, giving them the freedom to come together as a group of peers with, with someone who can sort of spot them along their journeys, not necessarily in an instructive capacity, but just as a presence to help them hold space and, Literally, you know, teaching things informally about ritual and space and nature and and how to come together as a group. And I think this is a really important piece. Maybe this is a good thing to close on for people to think about is for teens in our modern world, space, boundaries, um, sacred space is pretty thoroughly violated in almost every thing they do through the whole day, including how they treat each other and treat themselves. So, you know, it's not like it's just being done to them. And so to to help them understand the mechanics, to experience some well-held space and to teach them how to do that, which is going to lead to them understanding how to hold themselves. Right. As sacred space. And, and then how do you begin to, what are your expectations for each other and as peers? You know, is it, it starts to change everything. Um, but the most important way to do that is not to say this is how you do it, but have them come into the space mm-hmm. you've created and have exactly. them notice and go, wow, this feels different. How do we do that? And that's exactly. then, then that's the opening as well. Let's explore how we do that. You know, and that's, I think, one of the greatest things to remember when we're working with children is it's not about giving them the book. And, and well, it is about giving them the book, but it's not about giving them the rules, like you said. It's about guiding the way for them to explore themselves. Exactly. Maybe for the parents, it's about giving them the book. That's that's mm-hmm. another topic as well, how you work with parents of teenagers who, um, who want to go off-road, so to speak. But um, I think that's a good audience for this book also, is to help parents understand you know, why their kids are interested in something they may not understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how easy it could be for them to learn to understand it too. Mm. <laughs> how Perhaps. how insightful of you. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for uh one, writing the book and putting it out there as well as the 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 blog and the support and the whole moving this conversation forward for those of us as elders, you know, what are we doing and how could we do it better, but also creating this resource for um, teens and kids and young adults, because like we said, they're in it now. Something's got to happen to help them. 
So thank you. Thank you. I always enjoy time with you. Well, and for those of you that want to connect with Kelly, um, you can, again, find her at soulintentarts.com. Um, is that, that's probably the best resource, yeah? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, and Kelly, it's just, I, I always look for excuses to have you on the show because <laughs> I really <laughs> enjoy having you here. And if any of you want to connect uh, with Kelly directly, you can do it through the website or at Kelly at Soul Intent Arts, and it's K-E-L-L-E-Y at soulintentarts.com. So thank you very much for um, walking your path, um, you know, like Hillary and myself and this generation, those of us who stumbled around in the dark, <laughs> trying yeah. to figure it out on our own, um, you know, running into mentors that didn't seem very mentoring. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other show. Right. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, and may may we may we learn from our experiences and do a better job with this next generation. I love the idea of being the ground they're standing on and watching them fly. Yeah. So thank you for what you've offered them. Thank yeah. you. So thanks everybody. We give thanks to the earth below, the sky above, nature all around us, and its constant effort to teach us the little brothers and little sisters what the hell's really going on here and we give thanks to the hearts in the humans that unite us all thank you everybody for listening